Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two HQ.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. Hi. Oh, Hi. Welcome back home. How was your first post-pandemic vacation? <laughs> I love that we're framing it like I just came off a plane. I like haven't I talked just... to you since you stepped <laughs> off the plane. Tell me everything. Um, I took a post-pandemic vacation. I got on a plane. It was all very strange. I haven't processed a lot of it still. And it was like, <laughs> at this point, like a week and a half like ago. Like you feel like processing the trauma of being on a plane specifically? <laughs> yeah. Well, and just like, travel yeah yeah like you did ask me like a week before you were like do you have any advice for plane travel because I (laughs) I had done this before and I really didn't know how to answer I was like I guess if you have to ask maybe the response is like meditating beforehand I don't know well I just felt like I wanted some some expert tips yeah um and I I am an expert yeah and you're you'd been on a plane Uh um I asked my brother who had Mm -hmm. been on a plane and so I asked him and he was like if you want snacks bring them and I was like well that's like what I would have done anyway. Right. But, yeah. but okay. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that you like did the assignment. Of, like, giving me <laughs> you gave some me some sort of advice. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to a place that I felt very comfortable going mm-hmm. and like knew the knew the ropes mm-hmm. and didn't feel like I was gonna be like intimidated um, mm-hmm. or be forced into weird inside situations that I didn't want to be in. Um I went to Palm Springs and I love Palm Springs. I love everything about it. It was like mm-hmm. wonderful. I played tennis, I hiked. I ate meals outside at places where I always eat meals outside. It was awesome. But the best thing about vacation Mm -hmm. was these two hummingbirds. Or technically, I guess, three. Um, Wow. Okay. New friends. New friends. So to set the stage, we rented an Airbnb. And a couple days into our trip, Thomas noticed that there was like a little hummingbird nest on mm-hmm. a pencil cactus. You know, those, wow. those cute little pencil. I do, cact- but I'm like, how could it possibly support the weight of a nest? Hummingbirds are incredibly small, very lightweight. <laughs> okay. We'll get into that in a minute. Okay. Um, their nests are basically made of like fluff 
like found fluff. Um, wow, but uh, fluff and sticks? Mm, fluff and like a leaf or like some, okay. they're hot. They're like they're attached to the tree or whatever they're suspended from with like spider webs. Oh my god, nature's gorilla glue, I guess. Like, but is it sus- <laughs> is it suspended or is it sitting on top? Sitting of? on, sitting okay, on, okay. glued, adhered to, adhered okay. to. Okay, is the, wow. is the is the better term. So there were these two little baby hummingbirds in this nest mm-hmm. that was like four feet off the ground in this pencil cactus. And okay. Okay. it was like outside on this patio by a pool and mm-hmm. like a grill. And it was immediately like our, you know, 24 hour like television. Like mm-hmm. it's like what we watched, like what are the hummingbirds doing? Like mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And for a while it was like a lot of nothing, right? Like they were hanging out there and the mom would come by and feed them and like drop little nectar or potentially insects because they need protein because they're babies into their little mouths. And then like the last two days of our trip, Claire, these humming babies learn to fly. And I like wow. I could have just sat there all day and watched them learning how to fly. It was like ripped from the pages of How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. <laughs> like, yes. In, truly. So how do they learn to fly? Exactly how you'd think. They would be sitting in their little nest and one would just start flapping oh its wings really furiously. And like one, and then you'd get like a little, a little lift, you know, like a little tiny bit of lift. So then, like, once they get a handle on, you know, like, f- flapping their little wings, which they would mm-hmm. always do, like, after they got fed, too. Like, like as though they, got they just the energy. Came, yeah, as though oh. they just had, like, an energy bar or something. Okay. It was, like, so, yeah. so, like, much. Mm-hmm. Then, at, like, the second to last or third to last day of our trip, one morning, we went out and, like, one of the baby hummingbirds wasn't in the nest, it was like three branches down on the pencil cactus because like wow. friend had like succeeded. He had like, he had done it. Wow. And then that day it was just like, we watched him like learn to fly and like hop along branch, like fly from one branch to another and try to like entice the other one to do it and like kind of try to show him. And then mm-hmm. the next day, the second little hummingbird had left the nest. Wow. And it was just so Could cute. you sense the mother's pride? And she couldn't, yes, but then she also like, they left and like went over the fence into a bush by the driveway and she couldn't find them immediately. Stop, and then I got stop, nervous. My heart is breaking. I got stop, really nervous. I can't take it. But she found them and they were all reunited and they found each other, like the two baby hummingbirds found each other on the other side of the fence and like they all were fine. This and is- this is too much. This is why I cry every night when I read stories to Cam because they're always the stories are always like this and it's devastating and moving and it's too much. I, Claire, I know. And apparently once they leave the nest, they don't go back to the nest. Not to like, not to oh like God. make the tears. Not uh-huh, to make the uh-huh. tears just start flowing. Yeah. And the mom spends a couple, like however long teaching them like how to go find plants and like how like how to like get nectar out of a flower because you'd watch them and they were kind of dummies they were like trying to like poke at leaves and you're like I don't listen I'm not a hummingbird Uh but I have a pretty strong sense that the flowers what you're going for apparently they like red flowers so like all the hummingbird feeders have like dumb red things because or like red because was there a hummingbird feeder on this property 
No, there were a lot of red flowers though and pink mm. flowers. So I've learned that they were black chinned hummingbirds and I learned like various things about them um, mm-hmm. as part, as part yeah. of this uh, experience. I, exactly. As part of this study, their eggs are the size of coffee beans. <gasps> wow. Just bitsy little white matte eggs, coffee beans. That's outrageous. They start to fly at 20 or 21 days old. So basically, and if that's if a you long think, time to wait. Yeah, they were just just getting well, because they're also born without feathers. They're like very, very bitsy. So they have to wait for their feathers to come in. Mm-hmm. They gotta wait for their strength to come on. But like if we were there a week earlier, we would have never seen them learn. And right. if we were th- there a week later, they would have been long gone. Oh my, it was it was meant to be. It was meant to be. They have the smallest known genome of all living vertebrae. Um, What does that mean? Like their genetic structure, like their DNA structure. Okay. And they weigh, speaking of like, can this pencil Mm -hmm. cactus support this? They weigh 2.7 to 4.2 grams. And just to give you a sense, like Mm -hmm. a penny falls between those two. Like, uh, wow. Very lightweight. Very, very lightweight. Amazing. Well, congratulations to you. For, on the privilege of having witnessed this transformation. This miracle of life. This yeah. like, yeah, this huge life milestone for these Truly. hummingbirds. Like, I'm not sure if they have a bigger one. No. And I, do you think that they were aware of you? The mom was for sure. Because she would sometimes fly kind of close to be like, I see you. Like, I've clocked you. Like, okay. I'm aware okay. that you're here. I'm not worried okay. about it. Because okay. you wouldn't fuck with me. Because mm-hmm. it's clear that I'm the mama hummingbird. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge. Yeah. But she liked to make it pretty clear that she was, like, around. And that she Incredible. knew that we were. But then, like, all of a sudden, coming back, I was seeing so much bird content on the internet and I was like, is it synchronicity or is it just like me having like that eye for bird content, you know? I mean, I've definitely noticed and I've just, I've definitely noticed a lot of people becoming bird watchers over the last year. And I think it is, I think it's a combination of the Jenny O'Dell book, How to Do Nothing and the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Not just to make an educated guess. But Um, I also just feel like I've seen a lot of baby bird content. Yep. I know it's just like kind of a seasonal thing, obviously. Yeah. The like the prime example of this is Jamie Beck in like peak Jamie Beck ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. Jamie met two baby birds in Provence who- In her backyard. She, in her backyard. And she went to like put her finger out to like see if one of them would get scared if she like yeah. got her finger close. And it flew onto her finger. And I was like, Insane. I just felt like a How? little gypped. I just felt like a tiny bit gypped of being like, oh, like I, here I was like really treasuring this experience with these two baby hummingbirds. And then Jamie's like, come here, my friend. And like it was Cinderella, absurd. Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, fucking all of it. Yeah. They're the bird on Jamie Beck's finger. And then on her daughter's finger. It's insane. And then, Claire, then we'll link to this Instagram story. Then the birds are like knocking on the window to come in for a photo shoot. <laughs> Edith was- and Marcel are like, hello, maybe join you. And so Jamie was like, but of course. And she opened the blind and the curtains swayed. And you it know, was they- truly absurd. It's like weird that mice weren't there to sew her dress. Like it that is- was the only shortcoming of this uh, this content. Like where was Gus the mouse? But <laughs> Gus, 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 Gus. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, truly bizarre that 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 happened and not normal, except in Jamie Beck's universe. That's exactly right. 
Um, yeah. That's exactly right. It just made me, this whole thing just made me be like, I would have paid to have spent time with these hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. And like, is Look there at your a- capitalist mind. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny Hodel would be, <laughs> Jenny Hodel is so depressed that that's where your mind I, went. <laughs> I don't want to pay. I understand. I'm just like, I'm like, yeah. I would, like, I would. Like, yes. basically, I'm like, neonatal Look at your entrepreneurial t- mind that's is right. what I meant. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Okay. <laughs> Neonatal animal tourism is a th- yeah. like is a thing. Totally, like, I want to spend time with baby animals. I don't need to yeah. touch them. I don't need yeah. to hug them. Yeah. Like I don't need to have them land on me. Although if they wanted to, that would be that really would be pleasant. Fine. Yeah, but like I, you know, and if if I can spend more of my like relaxation time in the mere presence of newly hatched chicks, fledglings, yes. whatever, I welcome it. We are going to the Minneapolis State Fair this summer. It'll be Cam's first time, and they have an animal birthing tent. And Chris has been talking this up to Cam that he's going to see animals being, baby animals being born, which I'm really concerned about because they just aren't actually born that often. Like, you can get to the tent and have it be like, we think there's going to be a baby goat born in like four hours, but also they don't know exactly when it's going to well, be born. Obviously, they don't know exactly. But even of the fact course. that they can give you like a vague sense, I think is like insane. No, it, it is insane. But I'm just a little nervous that Cam's not actually going to get his neonatal, his prenatal uh, <laughs> baby tourist, <laughs> animal tourism. But should it happen for us, I'll we'll we'll do a sequel to this. Segment. Oh my God. I really hope so. I Thomas took me to an alpaca farm for my birthday last year and I was reminded that the owner said that the ant that the babies are born like May through September. And so I I feel like I need to like schedule another visit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I gotta just like there was this travel and leisure story called The World's Best Places to See Baby Animals. Um which <laughs> if like that's of, not SEO mastery, I don't know I what mean. it is. Yeah. And like a lot of her like tours from conservation groups and they're like bald eagle like fledglings and mm-hmm. seal pups and etc. And most of it I felt very good about. I just do get a little creeped out by the like anything that offers like holding or touching the mm-hmm. animals I'm not into. Besides yeah. like, you know, animals on a farm that are like, yeah, yeah like and, a petting. Yeah. A petting. Yeah. A petting Situation. is different than mm-hmm. like monkeys on a tree. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. My favorite part of the Friends reunion, which there wasn't a lot to have favorites of, was when... um, Marcel? Yeah. Did you watch? Yes. No. Okay. No, but I want to hear. I think they asked the question posed by James Corden was like, what was your least favorite memory of Friends? And David Schwimmer was like, the monkey thing was fucking awful. Like, it was just a disaster. (laughs) And I was so glad when like the episode finally came that we had to say goodbye to Marcel because it was just like terrible in every and frustrating and smelly in every possible way. I mean, to have that be like what your your eighth cast member or whatever, it's, <laughs> it's like a lot. It's true. It really it's is. It's true. Like, I felt for him. You could see that like the memory still was painful for him. Like he was able to conjure it really quickly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Should we bring on our guest? Let's do it. Today we are talking to Lauren Chan, who she has so much going, always, so much. I feel yeah. like. Um, she's a size-inclusive fashion advocate, a model. She's the founder of Henning, which is a luxury women's wear line in sizes 12 to 24. She's like a very charming and warm Canadian. I feel like just saying someone's mm-hmm. a Canadian also just like, oh, like, yeah. oh you I get know it immediately. Mm-hmm. I know what we're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, she was previously an editor at Glamour. And yeah, we're just like very excited to dig in on fashion and sizing and like what we're all wearing. Yes. Let's bring Lauren on. Thank you so much to Maiden for sponsoring today's episode. 
I think I've told this story before, but when Chris and I first started dating, it was really clear that he just like didn't ever cook. And I remember giving him this like line where I was just like, if we're going to be together, it cannot be that there are two options for eating and it's either I cook something or we order delivery. And he was like, okay. And really like took the initiative and started to teach himself how to cook. And I remember watching him realizing that there were these two sort of basic truths of good cooking that I had internalized, but not articulated and realized Mm. like I had to articulate to him. And the first one was that like good ingredients matter. And the second was that quality tools really make a big difference. And that like those were the things he needed to sort of have as a baseline in order to get a good meal going. And I'm so excited that we're partnering with Maiden because they do just have really quality cooking tools. Truly, very, very quality cooking tools. I've been cooking on their pan so much lately. Maiden is a cookware and kitchenware brand that works with renowned chefs and artisans to produce some of the world's best pots, pans, knives, and wine glasses. They produce professional quality cookware and knives for those who love to cook and those who are just learning to love to cook. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Maiden products are made to last and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. And their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and stay sharp. They have over 28,000 five-star reviews, and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs in Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Made In is better cookware for better meals. Right now, Made In is offering our listeners 15% off your first order with the promo code a thing or two. This is the best discount available anywhere online for Made In products. Go to madeincookware.com slash a thing or two and use the promo code a thing or two for 15% off your order. That's madeincookware.com slash a thing or two with the promo code a thing or two. Thank you so much to Olive and June for sponsoring today's episode. When I sat down to pull together notes for this spot, Erica, I looked back in my email to see when we first met the founder of Olive and June, Sarah Mm. Gibson Tuttle. Tell me. 2014. Wow. We met up with Sarah. I'll never forget it. She had a salon at the time on Rodeo Drive, I believe. It wasn't Rodeo, but it was like one parallel from Rodeo. Let's go with Rodeo. That sounds great. (laughs) It was one over. And we sat outside and had iced teas with her at a cafe like down the block and she was just such a force and we were both like oh my god this woman this business is, is making it this business this is, is gonna happening. like take over the world yeah she so at the time you know at the time she had these nail salons and she told us she was like the few like i i'm I'm going to do products. I'm going to be doing nail polishes. But what we didn't know is just how good the products would be. I was like, of course, you have this line of nail salons, you'll launch nail polishes. That makes sense. It has gone so much further than that. And it's become this insane phenomenon. I can't believe how it's taken off. Here's the thing, Claire. I hadn't painted my nails by myself for like years and like honestly never did it with any confidence or any skill (laughs) until the Olive and June Manny system came around. And now I feel like shockingly good about it. And Mm -hmm. I can do it DIY manicure that I feel like looks great and yes, lasts you're very good over a it. week. Yes. Um, I'm very like proud of myself, even though I don't feel like I actually have that much to do with the success yep. of this. Um, <laughs> we're obsessed with this thing and it's 20% off with the code a thing or two at oliveandjune.com. So the system comes with all of these tools that you need to do a five-step manicure in one box. And of course it, it includes the poppy, which I think you've probably heard us talk about before. It's this patented little like brush handle that you put right on top of a nail polish bottle and like any nail polish bottle. And it makes it so easy to paint both of your hands. You don't have to like grip the tiny weird end of yeah. nail polish bottles that are strangely poorly designed. And it really seems like this tool is the thing that's been missing from the nail polish universe all these years. It's kind of amazing that it took this long. I and- agree. 
God bless Olive and June for being the company to change that. Truly. So the Manny system comes with six polishes and it breaks down to $2 per Manny, which is crazy when you think that like people spend $35 or whatever on a gel manicure. And in addition to the system, Olive and June is known for having amazing polishes. They like legitimately feel like gel and they are really shiny and they do not chip. They like I I like I have a pedicure on my toes from two weeks ago and it still looks great. An at home um, pedicure. At home pedicure. Mm-hmm. At home a DIY Olive and June pedicure. If you are ready for your new nail life, it is here. The Olive and June Manny system is a secret behind salon perfect nails at home, all in one, no guessing, no messy nails, no salon price tag. Get 20% off your first Manny system when you use the promo code a thing or two at oliveandjune.com. That's 20% off your first Manny system when you use the promo code a thing or two at oliveandjune.com. We are done with expensive bad Mannies. This is the new us now, okay? Hi, I'm Haley Hubbard. Hi, I'm Jessica Diamond. This is our show, Meaningful Living, where we break down the overwhelming amount of parenting, lifestyle, and relationship information into credible and digestible knowledge and tools. Parenting is hard, and the thousands of decisions we're forced to make every day can feel daunting. While we've never had access to so much information, it's never been harder to find the knowledge we need to feel confident in the choices we make. We're sharing completely uncensored information here. It can be messy, but it's always fun and always real. Check out Meaningful Living anywhere you listen to your podcast. It takes a village and we can't wait for you to join ours. Okay, we're here with Lauren Chan. And right before we started recording, we had to stop her from telling us that apparently hummingbirds are a thing on TikTok. (laughs) Tell us everything. When I was not being recorded, I was really confident with that answer. And now I feel like (laughs) saying anything on the record about TikTok just like risks being totally discredited with the youths. So... But it also seems unlikely that there's no hummingbirds on TikTok. So in some universe, there's this is going to be true. Discredit you. Yeah, discredit you. Well, I have seen a few videos about people trying to get hummingbirds to land on them. Wow. As like a part one, part two kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I've I've mm-hmm. also learned that hummingbirds can't walk. They can only fly or stand. Like they they can't move their little <laughs> baby hummingbirds. Wow. Yeah. See, that seems like something yeah. that you would learn on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, totally. Lauren, are you on TikTok? Or are you just consuming I TikTok? I use TikTok as a user. I okay. haven't made any content yet. Do you I'm have really, been tempted I'm really to? scared of being judged by the youths, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the real answer is I want to. I have an idea for a TikTok, but I just am so at, you know, the max bandwidth of everything right now. So I, I shouldn't introduce a new to-do thing, an entire new project, just because I feel like I should, because mm-hmm. it just won't be enjoyable and then it won't be good and then it won't perform well and then it'll be useless anyway. So one day. You just summed up, I think, the philosophy of of life and work, right? You enjoy it, it won't be good, and then it'll be useless. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A memoir by Lauren Chan. Right. Exactly. Exactly. How long has your TikTok idea been brewing? Um, Well, first, I really really wanted to just make a TikTok about dogs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So you mean like a TikTok account or like when when one says a TikTok, do they mean an account or like a a video? No, I'm probably misspeaking. I mean an account. (laughs) So I mean okay, like okay. an account with like 3000 okay. videos just about dogs because I feel like TikTok is so fun to use. It is so unpolished. It's so education and knowledge based. It's humorous. It's like all these wonderful things that have nothing to do 
as I use it with the work that I do. And I think that that's what makes it so fun. So Mm -hmm. my natural inclination was to do the same if I were to make videos. And I had been watching um, the American Kennel Club weekend and then the Westminster Dog Weekend uh, with my husband. And I turned to him and I was like, this announcer has the best job in the world. How do I put my hat in the ring? How do I get experience in this realm so that I can be like Elizabeth Banks on Pitch Perfect, but for the actual dog yeah. shows? Yes. Um, and I was like, I started TikTok and that's how. And I go viral mm. and maybe there's some wine and some dog commentary and bam, set. Bye-bye, old life. I think Thank that's you, like absolutely <laughs> philosophically correct. I think Thank that's exactly you. how you do it. That's like... <laughs> think you're like two years away from that yeah. job if you just it's launched genius. an account because you know they're like looking for like who's the tiktok person that we should yeah. be drawing in to Listen, speak to the youths if they're right. smart they should be yes absolutely okay so what else is taking up your time that's keeping you from doing tiktok uh you know this little thing called my business i mean it's been a hell of a year i finally feel back in the groove and back on our feet we took a while to quote unquote pivot you know, everyone was being screamed at to pivot, pivot, pivot. And I wanted to do it genuinely and a way that was sustainable for the business and not like switching all of our manufacturing into masks or something. And then having that go away as the regulations, mm-hmm. you know, have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having to scramble again, I have really felt that owning a business has made me just so much more reactionary because there's so much going on that you just have to catch and react to rather than, strategic and active and thoughtful more of the time than not. And so with this crazy rhetoric that was going around last spring to pivot like a cuckoo bird, we actually took some months off of production and just kind of observed and promoted donating to organizations that we cared about and uplifting voices and all that good stuff. And then we ended up pivoting to loungewear rather than masks or PPE about a year later. So this spring we just launched loungewear and it actually went so much better than I thought it would. That's I was great. really nervous about that because we really started largely in workwear. We were making yeah, like fully lined wool suiting and trench coats and leather jackets and all of these things that people were wearing to their high powered jobs. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, it's going well. We did loungewear how I know our brand should have, we did it made in New York, made on demand sustainably with, you know, a eco-friendly viscose blend from lensing that wicks moisture. We had an antimicrobial knit mask. Our cashmere set is machine washable. And so there are all these things about it. Of course, in addition to that, it's like chic and fit exclusively on plus size bodies that really checks the boxes for how a Henning pivot should have looked. And how it will remain from now on. You know, we'll always have loungewear now and we'll always do it that way. I loved when I saw you right about the time when you were like deciding to put the brakes on production for a minute. Mm -hmm. I was just so impressed that you were like, no, the answer right now is not to like just start doing whatever crazy idea comes into your head. It's like actually to like stop for a second and like figure out what is happening and what things are going to look like in six months or try to at least before just like jumping into something. Um, So you're not running like around like with a chicken with your head cut off. How did you stay strategic during that moment? I mean, I know you said it felt like the pool to be reactionary is there, but you kind of didn't. Well, first I have the luxury of being able to just say that and do that because we're very small team. I run my own business. You know, we aren't venture backed. And so 
it just went that way because I decided it would go that way. I was looking around at a lot of the companies that I strive to be like, and many, if not most of them, if not all of them are venture backed and the issues that they ran into were so stressful. I mean, they were so widely reported. There were takedowns on female founders, which were bullshit everywhere, left, right, and center, because, you know, they had overstaffing problems. Their supply chains and manufacturing chains were so vast and global that they were shut down. There was too much product. The product was so seasonal, they couldn't get rid of it. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And we're kind of like in our own little bubble Mm -hmm. in the garment district in New York with a seasonless collection with things already being sold on pre-order and made to order. And so we kind of had the luxury to just say, well, if we cut the spending, we can cut the sales and Mm -hmm. kind of end up, I guess, same losses that everyone else did industry standard-wise, just at such a smaller scale. But to be really honest, part of it was just like, I can't can't do anything. I can't deal with this. So I'm just going to have to take a beat. There's nothing I can do. And I'm just making myself so incredibly stressed out. Mm -hmm. What are some other brands that you take inspiration from when thinking about building your business? So many, so many. I mean, I am in the world of plus size clothes. And so there are so many independent plus size brands Mm -hmm. that have huge focuses as well on sustainability that I love. So I really love Ray. W-R-A-Y. I really love Tamara Malice. And those are kind of like the two that I hold close to Henning's heart. I think Mm -hmm. that we sit in a really nice set together. Mm. And then I think, you know, unicorn wise and vision board wise, there are so many brands that I used to love that kind of got I don't know. They kind of fell from grace over the past year. Yeah, they and got now, a little sullied or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels a little odd to be like suggesting any of them because they're the curtain has been pulled back and there has been revealed to be so much wrong with them. Mm-hmm. But you know, I really love Eileen Fisher. She mm-hmm. has been a champion of sustainability and sizes and you know, chic clothes that I would wear for years and years and years. Mara Hoffman, I also really love. She is a self-funded, at least in the beginning, don't quote me on this, um, (laughs) anyways, business that has been around in New York City, being made here, being sustainable, um, more recent, in more recent years, being size inclusive. So I adore their ethos as well. How are you thinking about what people are going to be wearing to work now? And like, how are we going to work in general? Yeah, thanks. uh, (laughs) You have to think of this, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We are... I don't know that I'm really thinking about what people are going to wear to work as much as I'm thinking about what they wear in their lives and what Henning means in that context. And I think what I mean to say is that we're just going to be more casual. We're going to make a little bit more casual things in Mm -hmm. addition to the suiting and the really fine outerwear that we make, you know, we're working on some vegan leather pieces, some denim And that was never really in the original plan because it wasn't something that I saw a politician wearing to work or myself as a fashion editor wearing to work. And I just think that whether people end up staying remote or going back to the office or, you know, returning to a podium or what have you, I think the instances of that will be fewer. At some point we had talked about how like the leather jacket was like an item that you were like, we have to do this. Like this does not exist well out there. And like, how does it not? And there's so much demand. Are there other items that are henning bucket list items of just stuff that you feel like you have to create? Denim. Denim. Hmm. 
Plus size denim is largely disappointing. Honestly, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. As you grow in size and in, in pant size, your bodily projections vary at a you know greater uh, rate. And so, for example, I carry most of my weight in my midsection. Someone who's exactly my quote unquote pant size can carry most of their weight in their hips and have a really small midsection. And the same pair of jeans is supposed to fit us because the way that jeans in all clothing is made are made is that there's a pattern, there's a sample, the sample gets fit on a fit model. Generally, brands have one fit model that they think of as their customer and fit all their clothes to so that their sizing is consistent so that they can refine their customer base, et cetera, et cetera. And then that that finished sample based on the one fit model goes into production. It gets graded up and down in sizing just by math. You add an inch here and a half an inch there and blah, blah, blah. And then essentially that one shape, we'll call it, is supposed to fit everyone in all sizes. So that one shape and size is supposed to fit both myself and my friend who I'm talking about who has most of her weight in her hips instead of her her midsection. Especially with denim, that becomes very difficult because true denim is thick and tough and doesn't really move that much with the body and you really need to work it in. And then if it doesn't fit well because of the feel of the material, it can, it can hurt, you know, it can dig into your stomach, which happens to me if I sit down for too long in a too small pair of jeans, that compression of, of denim on your legs is quite uncomfortable as well. For me, the ultimate thing is the crotch that yeah. like the, the, the riding up crotch, riding up crotch. I just, <laughs> it's awful. Like yeah. that, that it's is, a, I can't it's, say, a, yeah. it's a UTI in the yeah. making. Yeah, exactly. Sure. That's exactly what it is. It's like, <laughs> That's like how painful it can yeah. feel and clothes yeah. should not be painful. No. And our bodies are no. not wrong. In fact, yeah. the process of making clothes is just so incredibly flawed as I just yeah. outlined. So then when you get into the plus size market, you also add the factor of bigger differences in body projection and weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the bigger assumption and the lower priced market, the assumption that plus size people will only spend under a certain amount from years of data that is cyclical because they haven't been offered a higher price mm-hmm. point. They don't have data that says people above a size 12 will shop at a higher price point. So you add those two things in and what we get is stretchy jeggings yeah. because economically they're more affordable to make and they will stretch and fit more shapes and projections. And so that's all well and good. I mean, there's a market for that for sure. But Henning exists to give customers above size 12 what everyone else in fashion has. And what's happening right now is a vintage, low-stretch, straight-leg, light-wash denim. I have been looking for years. My peers have been looking for years. I had made one actually in a limited edition run while I was still at Glamour Mm. in like 2016 or 17 with Scott Morrison of three by one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I still have them because they're the only thing I've been able to find. I personally, when I'm on the smaller swing of my weight scale, I go up and down like everyone else. I really love citizens of humanity size 33 and a Goldie size 33 and four, but that's the max. And that's again, at my smaller end, And I'm a quote unquote, small fat person. And so it's horrible to think about everyone who doesn't have access to even that and would probably like roll their eyes if they heard me say that. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make really great luxury denim, just like everything else we do in, in the most sustainable way possible and offer my customer that better product. And I'm, yeah, I'm really excited about it. 
does that look more like men's pant sizing where you're giving, you know, specific measurements for like an inseam and a waist rather than just saying like, this is a size six? Um, no. And that's just because we're a small business and it comes down to, uh, stock and production. And, Mm -hmm. and like, if you add another inseam, it's another pattern that you have to load in essentially upload (laughs) quote unquote at the factory so that they can produce that. And every time you change an inseam, it's another whole set of sizes. So it's not just, you know, a 12 with a 32 inch inseam. It's a 12, a 14, a 16, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So our solution is going to be more about fit tricks, which mm. Henning started with as well in um, some of their pieces. So I won't tell you what the denim one is yet, just because <laughs> honestly, we haven't landed on it. Um, and not because I'm being <laughs> super coy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not rocket science, people. Yeah. But for example, you know, in our wool pants, we had reinforced the inner thigh seam with a gel tape. It's a jelly kind of band that you sew along the inner thigh seam to make it stronger. So that if you have legs that rub together, which is more common, if you're above a size 12, that fabric isn't as weak and won't be as likely to rip over time. Mm, Smart. You know, as well, we have an elastic in the back of all of our pants that is hidden. It's not in that typical ruched waistband that totally takes you out of the element of style um, and looks down market and a little bit frumpy. Um, So our elastic is sewn into the back of our pants. And because we use a stretch wool on that section and in those pants, it does stretch with the pants. So things like that. You know, it's funny. Of all the things I've been missing over the last year, it's the little things I miss the most. Like making awkward eye contact across the room or meeting strangers in line. That's what I'm trying to get back to. Vaccination is the most effective way to help prevent COVID-19 and get back to the good times. Find out where to get your COVID-19 vaccine near you at vaccines.gov. That's V-A-C-C-I-N-E-S dot gov. Thank you so much to Base for sponsoring today's episode. So we all have that like one health thing or maybe multiple health things that we've been spending years trying to get to the bottom of. I know I definitely do. For some people, it's sleep. For some people, it's focus. Maybe like your sex drive feels off and you're just trying to figure out like, what, is it some external thing? Is it something I'm eating? And is this normal tired or does this, is this like problematic tired? (laughs) And it is so hard to know. And then once you start treating it, at least like my plan of attack is always like, all right, I'm going to take these four random supplements and then eliminate this thing from my diet. And then I'm going to try like cupping and acupuncture and also this other weird therapy. And then I'm in this situation where I'm like, well, I don't know if it was like all the supplements or the one supplement or that Reiki healing I did. And I, it's a lot of just, is this thing on? Was it the pills? Who, who knows? Who knows? Which is why I feel like base feels like, wow, okay, here's a way to get to the bottom of this. Some answers to some questions. Um, This is where BASE comes in. You can stop guessing about what's causing your issues and get to the root of the symptoms. BASE lets you measure your body's data like hormones and vitamin levels to discover what's actually stopping you from feeling your best, finally. So you can be certain about what's causing your symptoms and get a personalized plan with steps to improve them. They let you choose from five key areas that affect your quality of life. Stress, energy, sex, diet, and sleep. You pick one or more areas to investigate. BASE will send you this easy lab kit right to your home. It's super simple. It's like a finger prick test. We both did it. It took minutes, literally. You take the test, you ship it back to them, and then you get the results right on your phone through the base app. They give you a clear score from poor to great, so you don't have to struggle to decipher lab results that only your doctor can read. Base doesn't just tell you what to test. They also help you figure out how to fix 
any of your hormone and vitamin levels that are out of the healthy range. You can track the progress of everything you're working on through the apps. You can see if things that you're doing are actually working. BASE is doctor and nutritionist approved. They use data from thousands of clinical trials to make their lifestyle recommendations. BASE membership starts at $59.95 a month. And right now you can get 20% off your first month of membership with the code a thing or two. Visit get-base.com slash a thing or two to learn more and enter the code a thing or two at checkout. That's get-base.com slash a thing or two with the code a thing or two. Was it a conscious decision not to take outside funding for Henning? Yes and no. Something in my gut knew not to. And my head was telling me to do it, do it, do it. You need to do it. I had outside, you know, I had people who loved the brand and were advising me with, with the best intentions, telling me that I needed venture. And to be honest, I didn't know that much about the world of finance and, mm-hmm. and venture. Mm-hmm. I knew what I knew, which was fashion and size advocacy and communications and PR and branding and image making. But I had to learn about finance as I went. And it just never sat right with me for Henning personally. Kind of the same way I think about how clothing making process doesn't make sense. So we changed the way we do it Mm -hmm. is how I was thinking about venture. I was just looking at it thinking constantly that this is not a path for fashion and it's certainly not Mm -hmm. a path for a niche brand like Henning, which serves luxury plus size shoppers with a focus on sustainability and ethics, you know, it's not a get rich quick plan. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, that just didn't align with venture. It was more about spending my savings and getting small checks from friends and family and angel investors who personally cared about the mission and would therefore understand when I wanted to do something like say, offer free tailoring on garments before a customer wanted to return them, teach the customer that the clothing is the problem. It's mm-hmm. not them. Mm-hmm. They don't need to return a pair of pants and have a bad experience with the brand because they didn't fit the pants. Mm-hmm. The pants are made, as I said, in this flawed way. And I just couldn't sit with the idea of a customer being upset by that and having yeah, yeah. The self-worth affected by that. So hell, feeling like it was like some personal failure that the the pants didn't fit. Yeah. Send us the receipt. We'll refund you up to $50 in the tailoring. And that's That's the experience I wanted them to have. And I took money from people who feverishly and enthusiastically reacted to that idea Mm -hmm. in a positive way, rather than people who would have said, well, that doesn't make any financial sense. Right. That's not how this works. Yeah. That's not how this works. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give us the sort of state of the union on size inclusive fashion, um, sort of where it was when you started with Henning and where things are now and what what your hopes and dreams are? That's another small question. <laughs> um, we can go back to the hummingbirds if you want. <laughs> you uh, yeah, my TikTok brain and my business owner brain are very <laughs> different brains. Fashion has come so far in terms of inclusion since I started working, which was about a decade ago, I started as a plus size model. And then I was a fashion editor. Uh, I spent the bulk of my career at Glamour, where we talked a lot about size inclusion. I had a print column and an online vertical and co-designed 10 collections for Glamour X9 Bryant, which was a clothing line we had. And then I started heading about two years ago now. Wow. 
can't believe that. Um, and I started working on it about three years ago. So at every change in my career, I've kind of looked back and, and thought, wow, we've come so far. How the hell could we go any further? And that's a great thing, but it's also a function of being excluded for so long and thinking that we are in such a good place because I have like five brands that I can shop from. Right. So I personally think that fashion has become so amazingly inclusive with representation and imagery mm-hmm. and voices and content. And what's really still lacking, you know, really across the board is, is product. I still can't really go shop where I want to shop. I still like troll the real real for the XXL stuff and return most of it. I'm pretty sure they're going to tell me I'm not allowed to return anything else soon. <laughs> um, but it's all worth it for that one piece that works every now and again. That one hit of feeling sumptuous and fashion and included and mm-hmm. equal and capable and commanding when you put that Chanel suit on that fits. And I just saw a picture of you in this like perfect pink Chanel suit (laughs) at a photo shoot. And you are doing a lot of modeling and you're on set a lot. And what about fashion that you're, you know, being styled in or seeing on shoots or wearing? What's making you excited? Everything is optimistic. Mm -hmm. I never used to wear color. And I'm like, yeah, a hot pink suit. Why not? Right. Top smash. I extra love it, you know, which is wild for me. But Fashion right now is bright and nostalgic and it's like clinging to optimism. It wants to instill hope and joy in everyone who buys something new and puts it on. And I think that that's pretty cool. I think that that will be what we study in fashion school when we look back on this time. And last year I was kind of having this conversation when the trend of these bright colors hadn't really taken over yet. And the 90s hadn't fully consumed us yet. And no one was making masks to put on the runway. And of course, you know, it's a trickle-down effect with what we see on the runway to, to stores and what actually ends up in people's hands. And I was just thinking, God, it's so bizarre. Fashion is is a documentary of the time and, and we're going to look back and there won't be masks. Right. Gucci could have made silk pajama masks and sold them for $650,000. And you best believe they would have (laughs) sold out every drop, you know, but they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just really fascinated by what the legacy of this time would be. And now that we've kind of come another half year into the future, I really think it's that, that optimism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw you in a blue eyeshadow and I loved it. Wild. Wild. (laughs) So crazy. I could have never guessed that seeing anyone in a blue eyeshadow would make me that happy, but. But it turns out, what are you wearing in real life when you're not on set? I saw a friend of mine yesterday at the dog park and she commented on the pink Chanel suit picture. And um, I was just offlining with her about the hilarious dichotomy of that situation. Anyways, I am wearing sweatshorts and bike shorts Mm -hmm. um, because mostly I work from home, but I go to the dog park a few times a day. So those seem to be the best bottoms for me. I have a few pairs of very bright nylon shorts right now Mm. that I love. The bike shorts, shameless plug, are from Henning. They are made of that lensing Ecovera viscose blend. So they are a wood pulp that is both moisture wicking and antimicrobial. So they're perfect for being outside in the heat. And then my sweat shorts are from Aerie, which they make uh, in size inclusive extended sizes. So I think they make up to a 
three or four XL in those shorts, which is great. Um, and then my nylon shorts are from Bandier and I have a hot pink, a sunflower yellow and a cobalt blue or a Henning blue, if you will. <laughs> and those also go into one, two and three X. So those are my favorite shorts at the moment. I'm really into ironic t-shirts mm. or like nostalgic t-shirts t-shirts from Poshmark that like, maybe I shouldn't put on my body without, you know, disinfecting first. Um, <laughs> but they just make me so happy. It's so funny. I'm, I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now from Supreme that says shit. <laughs> and it's got a little sad face with his tongue out. Uh, so yeah, I feel like it's about fun. We're at home. We've been at home for so long. Yep that I just want to put comfy, fun, bright stuff on. And then when I go out to have, you know, uh, a, a drink or, or a quick meeting outside or something like that, I have been wearing jeans or jean shorts, like knee length jean shorts. And I love a short sleeve flowy button down for the summer. So mm. my jean shorts are from a Goldie and Citizens of Humanity. And then my button downs are all from the Real Real, Yeah. And Poshmark. What brands are you tracking on the real real? I could talk about the real real for hours. As could I. It's <laughs> yeah. like an addictive video game. It, it's like more addictive than Instagram. I can't open it because I will just scroll forever. Same. I have to see the end of everything. <laughs> yes. It doesn't matter what I'm shopping. <laughs> My husband is always making fun of me for this because I'll be there on like the 38th page of Urban Same. Outfitters. You don't know what you're missing. This is like... You don't. You, Absolutely. There's you no way and I are starting if you're not going to see the end. You've, this is how I feel. And like, this is Eric, the bane of Erica's existence when we go shopping together because I'm the one, I'm like, you got to bring everything into the dressing room. You going, just don't know what you're missing. And Erica shows up with like two with, things. With Claire yeah. is like really like, it's just like, it puts our, our, our full personalities on display. display. <laughs> we like, I pull three things and I'm like, ooh, this, maybe I won't even try on this one. And yeah. Claire's like, let me try that one in all four sizes because you, you just never know. know how it's going to fall. And then like, can you and get, like, see if that, that one's over there? <laughs> and maybe the hot pink will look good on me today. I don't know. And so like, let's just try on all the colors, all the sizes, every style. You just don't know. You got to see the end. Yeah. yeah. So Claire, you and I shop the same. Yeah. And to your point, to answer your question, yes. I don't track specific brands on the real real. I track okay. everything that comes in a size that might remotely fit me. Okay. So menswear, women's wear sizes L to their top size. And I look every day and I look at the specific measurements of okay. everything and then the cut. And I'll like zoom in on the mannequin to see how, if I can tell how they pinned it and where there might be extra fabric and stuff like that. Do you do this? This is my favorite thing with the real real. You like figure out the original style name, do an image search for it <gasps> so that you can find the original retailer images of it. Don't oh give God. your husband Claire's name. <laughs> He's going to like come for her. <laughs> Because you can't tell, real, real pictures are like kind of, you know, mediocre. And like you said, sometimes they pin it. So you got to find the original shop op image or whatever it is of it. And it will still be cached on Google image search somewhere. Oh my God, you're my guru. <laughs> well, you're, you're mine. Because now I'm like, I actually am restricting myself by just tracking these brands. I do think that there's like an element of discovery that I'm missing in doing that. Especially because they just started carrying quote unquote vintage or like label list pieces. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Right. Because you moved recently. So you're doing home decorating. Yes. yes. I moved. Well, I guess it's not so recent now. I moved in March of 2020. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Uh -huh. Good Perfect. time. It was a joy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how else were you sourcing home things or how were you thinking about your home, especially in that insane moment? I mean, you and I moved right around the same mm -hmm. time where it was just like, 
both the best and worst time to be thinking about what is my home going to feel like um, because you were there so much. I lived on Cherish. I was also on Saatchi a lot looking at artists. So I did commission some pieces from there. And then I kind of filled in the blanks with Craigslist stuff. Craigslist New York City is amazing. It's it's insane. It just shouldn't be that good. It's, it's ridiculous. so good. Yeah. Anyways, so I kind of slowly did that over a year. And then when I thought I was done, Domino Magazine came over to shoot the apartment. And this incredible home stylist, Elena Sullivan, was here. And she just kind of like rearranged things and brought some props. And I looked at the apartment when she was done and I was like, can I keep all of this? She was like, <laughs> no. And I was like, okay, can I keep you? <laughs> so actually we're just about to start working together on, on finessing the rest of the house because I just adored her eye. And so it's kind of like a never ending project. And I source things as they come up on these free sale and vintage apps, because you can't predict when and where it's going to come up. I'm so excited to work with Elena, but you know, she came into my life by virtue of luck and a totally different uh, job and at work. So yeah, it'll, it'll be never ending. My husband is constantly at his wits end about the home stuff I'm flipping because it didn't really work out the way I thought it would once Mm. it got here. How are you feeling about the world of fashion post-pandemic? Like, are you excited about fashion shows and events? Do you not miss them at all? What do you want to like come back and what do you want to never see again? Oh God, that's such a good question. I love fashion week. It is like camp for fashion journalists. It is fast and furious and everybody's out and about and they've got their looks on and the shows are just so glorious. And so I would love a return to fashion week. TBD, if it'll ever happen in fall, I think that it will. And I think that if we don't see it this season, it'll be next season. Fashion has a way of kind of like sticking to its guns, even if, you know, it's not the right thing to double down on. And so I do think that traditional fashion week will be back by and large, perhaps with some brands opting to do more video or pre-recorded or lookbook based stuff. But I really think that the shows will be back and I could do away with I don't know. I'm like ready to, I'm ready to get back. I could do away with the the dinner and the night events because I just feel like I don't know how I'm going to have that much social energy or just like energy to be standing and not on TikTok past 8 PM. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to ease back into that, but I'll probably go to many, 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 many less events in the future. Yeah. What about you? Are you guys, See, have you been to any, what's happening? No, we haven't been to an event. Um, no, but I did. A, a but I friend, did get an invitation oh, to one, and was like, "Oh, same. okay." And I was like, "Oh, this feels invasive. How dare you <laughs> yes. think I leave my house?" Yes, that uh, I would have a drink somewhere with other people at six p.m. People that I don't even wow. know. This feels like yeah. a big ask. Yeah, <laughs> I said no. <laughs> I yeah. did legitimately have other plans, oh and I was God. like glad to not have to think about it. But like, yeah, I yeah. couldn't even bring myself to say no. I just like ignored it. Didn't answer. I didn't you just close your eyes. So terrible. But <laughs> this like social anxiety came over me and I'm not a socially anxious person. I like the opposite of that. And I, I couldn't even make myself answer the email. So I'm a little bit worried about the state in which I'm reentering <laughs> the world. Um, but everyone's there and everyone feels that way. Yes. Yeah, that's no, right. That's the only comforting part of all of this. Everybody feels that way. Lauren, Lauren this was amazing. Thank you so, so much wonderful. for coming on. Oh, um, thanks for having me. This was fun. This was great. That's the show. 
This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so, so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us to make this podcast happen, especially our outstanding producer, Brian Peoples. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com. If you love our show, consider supporting it by signing up for Secret Menu at, you guessed it, a thing or two HQ.com. <laughs>